Welcome to the Intelligent Investing Podcast, where modern portfolio theory can suck it. A student of the school of Graham and Doddsville and a clergy member of the Church of Warren Buffett, here's your host, Eric Schlein. Hi, this is Eric Schlein. You're listening to the Intelligent Investing Podcast. And today we have on entrepreneur Alex Portelli. Um, you know, on this show, I like uh, having business leaders as, you know, we, sometimes we talk about investment ideas. Uh, we've had a few uh, people who run companies on the show too. And I love profiling, you know, people who have very interesting stories and I'm to really interesting things. And it's been a little while since we've had someone on like that. So, um, you know, happy to have you on the show, Alex. Welcome. Thanks, man. Glad to be here. Yeah, now you're in Las Vegas right now? I uh, Yep, that's okay. correct. I'm now in Las Vegas. You've kind of been all over the place in your career, huh? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I just I just bought a house here and, and relocated here. Uh, I've been in Colorado for the last five years, as you know, but uh, the climate there, not the weather, has changed a bit, and uh, so I just see more opportunity out here. Cool. So before we get into that, just I think for the listeners, just tell us a little bit about you know who you are, your background, kind of how you got started um, building businesses because you, I mean, you literally have built quite a few businesses and um, you know pretty successful for um, you know you're not you're, what you're like thirty or something. How old are you? Yep, just just okay, turned thirty. You're, you're literally thirty yeah. years old. Yeah, so um, you're you're not someone who just you know talks the talk, but you. You walk the walk, um, and you have a. I would say you have a very natural business street smart. So, um, yeah, I'm looking. I'm looking forward to spending more time talking to you today. So, yeah, tell us a little bit about your background. Like, yeah, definitely. Uh, well, I'm from Albany, New York, upstate New York, uh, as you know, because I, I bring it up uh, every so often. I, I mm-hmm. don't really come from much of an educational background. I dropped out of Albany High School. Uh, when I was 14, a few weeks into the ninth grade. And why would you drop uh, out? Because the because it was a very very bad uh, school system. Uh, a very a lot of violence, a lot of gang violence. Uh, school it was just uh, you could it's just very crummy. But my my class, for example, had a graduation rate I think of like 25, 26 percent. Wow. Is it still is it is it still as bad? today it seems like it actually yeah. I, yeah sometimes i i check out uh albany news but the whole upstate new york is very uh economically depressed no i, I mean it feels like uh, i'm driving through a third world country sometimes when I'm yeah I, yeah tests. absolutely it's like i'm like i'm in like you know like much. soviet controlled land or you know something yeah, like that not, I'm, not I'm, I'm laughing but it's not funny yeah it's incredible it's people sad. still there yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, well, I mean, there's no, there's no opportunity. Uh, it's, it's very expensive. Taxes are very high. Uh, you know, even like I, I look at uh, a house, a property I'll have in, in Denver or Las Vegas, uh, because that's what I do now, by the way. So I, I have real estate, uh, real estate portfolio. Uh, but you look at property taxes for, let's say, let's say like a four bedroom or five bedroom 2,000 square foot property in Denver or Las Vegas. These are major metro areas. Uh, your property tax, you're looking at around $1,000 for a year. Uh, you know, maybe 1,500, maybe even less than 1,000. Uh, upstate New York, this isn't even New York City. Albany, New York, my parents, their house, it's a three or four bedroom. 
uh, they pay like twelve, thirteen thousand dollars a year in property tax alone, uh, and that's not that's wild, right? And this is Albany, so you've been to Albany, right? Like, uh, yeah, a few times. It, I went to I yeah. went to a great diner though there once. Yeah, 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 there you go. Uh, so it's not like you're living in in Manhattan or something. Uh, so it's very yeah. New York has a lot of problems, and and that trickles down uh, because that that discourages i mean no nobody who is going to you know has a business or is going to invest in something something is going to invest in upstate new york where they're going to pay 12 15 20 thousand dollars a year in property taxes when they can get the same property for you know two thousand dollars a year in property taxes uh i think that's probably new york's probably their biggest one of their biggest problems that you really don't hear much about honestly no, yeah, I but then with, with, with all due respect, though, I mean, cap rates are going to be higher, I would imagine, in Albany than New York City. I mean, right? So there's yeah, going to yeah. be that trade-off. Yeah, that is true. Well, I mean, it's it's. I don't uh, I don't know what the property taxes are in the the more close to the New York City metro area, but I imagine uh, they're still high. Yeah, definitely. And then you're paying your your income tax for New York is is ridiculous. Uh, you know, you're paying sales tax. I guess the sales tax. I don't know what the sales tax rate is actually, uh, but yeah, overall, I mean, you know, those 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 costs add up. Uh, yeah. So I, it's very sad. But, so, so anyway, uh, you so you drop out of you drop out of school. Yep, dropped out of school. I went to work. You're 14 yep. when you drop out. You yep. said. Yep. 14. And then, and then what do you uh, do from there? Well, first, so I I worked a uh, as a busboy at this really really by, nice. By the way, I just want to say too, yes. it seems like the people I meet who are up to like, I'm not talking about like really cool things, but like doing really amazing things. They all have a really fucking interesting story. Like they've all gone through some kind of shit to get where they are. Yeah. You yeah, know, absolutely, man. it's uh, like the, um, um, you know, it reminds me of this. This is a, I think you'll get this analogy. Do you remember when like, you know, you're in high school, I guess you weren't <laughs> fully in high school, yeah. but you remember yes. when it's like, you have like the popular kids and like the pretty girls and then as you get older, um, you know, as you get as you get older, you know, whether it's like the football jocks or the cheerleaders, you know, whatever, you know, some of them, you know, actually go do like real work and become super successful and normal, whatever. But then there's like those people that like they kind of peaked in high school and it was like they never had to do anything in their life. They just got by on like, you know, their good athletic talent or, you know, their pretty face or something. And then they're fucked. Like they're like totally yeah. fucked. They haven't developed themselves, you know. And yeah, I, I don't. I, I, I there's there's, that, there's something really there where if you have to really struggle to get some shit done, um, it really it really sh- kind of sharpens the blade of, of of how you do life. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you know, like sitting at a desk for twenty to twenty five years of your life, if you think about it, you really. Uh, I don't think it's that healthy, and it's not really preparing oh. you for. for I mean, look. Life. To be fair, it depends on the desk. There's, I'm sure there's right. Yeah, yeah, there's of plenty of desks that are great, but you know, yes. if you're in some nine to five job where there's no level of critical thinking that you have to do, I don't know how right. you could even possibly start building and creating businesses um, when you literally have not trained your like mind right. to think like that for you know, 25, 30 years. Like, it really can fuck you. And, and even like, I don't know if you ever see me, uh, you know, or if I've brought it up, but even you look at the cost of public schools and the school system, uh, if you just kind of do the math on how much tax money it costs to teach a student in a year and you just kind of 
calculate what it would cost for one classroom. I've seen this data uh, before. It's insane. Yes, and, and and it's okay. Let's say like an average of of eleven thousand dollars a year to to teach a student, and that's not even a full year. How much? How many kids are in a classroom? Let's say twenty, twenty-five, sure. right? Yeah. Okay, so what is that a year? So that's like okay, so that's two hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars a year for one classroom. Uh, and, and you've seen a classroom, a public school classroom, like that's, where is that money going? The teacher makes 30,000. <laughs> so yeah, uh, it's not like they're making the big bucks either. Right. It's just completely outrageous. It's such a, it's such a, uh, it doesn't make sense as a system to be no. honest. It's not an efficient system at all. The thing is you can't, you know, I don't want to get too off track here or get right, too political, right. but it's like, it's, it's sad kind of the state of affairs we're in, in this country where you bring something like that up. And right. immediately, right, like what you're saying is, you know, pretty common sense. And, you know, the numbers yes. may not be 100% accurate, but like right. we could have a normal, rational conversation. And even if we come away with two different conclusions, it's not like we can't be friends or it gets ridiculous. But there's so many people. It's kind of why I hate bringing this shit up publicly is you, you, you bring something like that up and immediately someone goes into your anti-education, you asshole. And it's like, what? Yeah, it's very sad. What? Uh, like, what, what happened sad. to your mind that it just turned to mush? Yep. And, and you know, and I learned, I learned about business and efficiency because I dropped out of school and, uh, you know, working at small businesses, uh, you know, and that really taught me a lot, seeing the, the trials and tribulations that a business owner has to uh, deal with in New York. I worked at, at small mom and pop places, the restaurant I worked at, Restaurant Paradiso, which was the kind of like the scuttlebutt of Albany. As you know, Albany is the capital. Now, being as small a city as it is, it's a very political city because it's the capital of New York State. So right. you have you have a city of 80,000 people, and then you have all the legislators uh, who have their houses there, and they work there, and they're there for the legislature, and uh, – you know, they're, they're going out and they're spending money and, and the city kind of revolves around that. And that restaurant, uh, all those politicians love to go to everybody from the assembly love to go there. Uh, you know, and so I learned a lot, uh, there kind of, actually I have some funny stories even, uh, I don't know if it's, I have an embarrassing story about governor Pataki. I don't know if that that's appropriate for you or not, but if, if uh, governor Pataki <laughs> would not be okay with it, if that's private, then do not bring it up on the show. No, no. Okay. Well, <laughs> okay. Uh, but, uh, yeah, but anyway, it's, uh, you know, David Patterson, I'd, I'd see him in there. Uh, Spitzer, uh, would go in there. Uh, so that was that then I was 14, 15 years old. And to be honest, uh, Back then, now you're not going to make this kind of money in Albany, I think. But back then, uh, I think pre-recession, uh, upstate New York definitely wasn't as bad. Uh, but post-recession, it definitely it, it never recovered. I think. Uh, right. But so, I, so yes, yeah, so yeah. you're, so you're working for these businesses, and yeah, then yeah. kind of what uh, goes from there. Yeah. So I, uh, you know, I, I worked there part time. Then I went over to uh, this this Italian deli, and I would work uh, six, seven days a week there, uh, sometimes 10, 12 hours a day. Uh, you know, and I, I, yeah, that's, uh, won't go into there too much, but it's it's a little bit of a, a 15 year old, 16 year old shouldn't be working those many hours. uh, But, uh, yeah. So I, you know, that's, that's kind of how I got my educational start. Uh, and then as you know, when I was 23, uh, I opened a diner in, in Albany. Uh, and that was, uh, yeah. And then, 
so yeah, I opened a diner in Albany and uh, rented a commercial storefront. It was uh, it, it had a long history in Albany. It used to be a place called Johnny's Hot Dogs. So what what had you open a diner out of all businesses? So I just kind of like felt like I needed to be my own boss. I was working a uh, as a waiter okay. uh, at a restaurant by the airport, and I kind of felt I needed to take a jump. And that's I think the big thing in in life in business. Uh, is you have to be, you cannot be afraid to take risk and to take a jump. And that was the first real jump, I guess, I took into into business and kind of being my own boss. Uh, so I took that jump. I rented a place. It was ready to go because there was so much. All the equipment was there since uh, places would rent it and then they would fail in six months. Yeah. Hey, Alex, so, there's a little, like, crinkling sound on, the, uh, on your microphone. I think... That was my phone was going off. I'm gonna vibrate. It sounds like like the mic is like rubbing against your shirt or something like that. Oh, that could be it. How's that? That should be better. Okay. Uh, it wasn't it wasn't too big of a deal, but I figured I'll say something. This is now. the no, definitely. This is the tell me if any of that. This is the no. You sound good. You sound good. Mic. No, good. So yeah, so that's that's the big thing I kind of felt in business. You have to take a jump. Uh, you you can't be afraid uh, because the worst thing that happens is it doesn't work out. So. Uh, I rented this place. And, yeah. And by, uh, by the way, people don't get that. Is no, you know, they sometimes don't. they'll see like, oh, you did this to this, but they don't see the thousand things you did that didn't work. No, oh, absolutely. And that was part of a, lo- a, a large part of my twenties was trying things and and finding what works. And I remember one time somebody told me he said that about me. He said you always want to try things, and uh, one day you're going to strike gold. Uh, but yes, yeah, so this was the first kind of jump I took, and I opened this place. And to be honest. It is the worst place you could uh, invest in to open a restaurant. It was as you had went there. It's on a uh, the a block of a commercial street that doesn't really get much foot traffic anymore. It was all it was all metered parking, right? Yes, it was all metered parking. It was an economically <laughs> depressed neighborhood to with be meter, polite. With metered parking. Yes, and the meters and then the the meters were horrible. First off, the meters in Albany are expensive, and nobody goes down there because you're. If you can go to a mall or a shopping mall and park for free, why would you go somewhere where you have to pay a meter? Uh, you know, unless you're going downtown for like a government, you know, business or whatever. So yeah, it was a very bad place. Uh, and the first few months, it, it, I mean, I worked it myself. I was there all day, open to close, uh, and it was very tough work. And I was barely making ends meet. Uh, and I kind of figured. Well, first I went to the city and I kind of I thought, you know, oh, let me talk to them. Of course, they're going to want to see me succeed. I'll uh, ask them if maybe they can f- figure something out, like get rid of the meters or maybe do like the first 30 minutes is free or something. Uh, of course, they didn't care. Uh, so then I was kind of got a little uh, I got a little like spiteful, I guess. And I said, OK, well, I'll show them. Uh, I'm going to open at 6 p.m. after the meters are not in effect. And then I'll close at 5 a.m. when they go back into effect. Okay. And uh, I'm, you I know did what, I didn't I didn't know this about you, but I'm, when you said that, I'm not shocked. Yes, I was, <laughs> and I did it total. I did it completely out of like spite to them, and I would even okay. advertise it. I mean, like, it sounds like a good business strategy, though, like, regardless yeah. of kind of spite or not. I mean, that's kind of and, a good idea. It, it absolutely did, and it's funny because that was the reason I did it, like without thinking about the business ramifications totally completely, hilarious. and. Uh, it it was a total hit, as you know. The the restaurant over the next two to three years became a complete success. Uh, it was because here's a place. First off, I made everything from scratch. I was doing uh, the fries we made in house. The oh, man, burger. Your food was. You remember when I when I came to visit you that time at your diner? The food was damn good. 
Yeah, it was really good quality food. So here's a place where you, you can made go. Us a, and, and you made us a fresh donut, too. Right. We did homemade donuts made fresh. I did soft serve ice cream. We had, uh, you know, made my own wing sauce. The wings wings were famous. And, of course, the most famous thing was the was a peanut butter bacon cheddar cheeseburger called the Stoner Burger. I remember that. And the Stoner Burger was famous. Uh and this place became so popular because where else are you going to go uh, it, within a 300-mile radius even uh, at 4 in the morning to get like a burger like this, like a homemade made-from-scratch burger with bread that was freshly baked from like a local bakery and homemade fries and uh, you and know, then, a cool and, and then let's be real. If you're high as fuck, you're going to want to eat a donut after. Oh, absolutely. And then you get a, a hot donut made to order. Right. Uh, and we would have people like eventually, of course, word spreads and, and with the internet, it makes things easy. So you see, Oh, what's open now? Oh, this place. Oh, it has five stars. Uh, we'd have people that would drive up from New York city sometimes. Literally. We had, so we had so many people that came from Boston to, to out of curiosity at night, you know, like they left the bar at like, 130 or whatever like oh we should go take a road trip check this place out like it was uh and the place would be packed and, and did they, did they realize that once they had food there was nowhere else to go i mean it's fucking <laughs> albany <laughs> yeah right and it's funny because here it is in in albany of all places uh little albany uh i mean i was in school in buffalo for two years and i mean at least there was some shit to do at that hour but like my brother went to syracuse and i guess the college part i mean well, I, I don't know. Is the University of Albany, is there stuff around there? Uh, no. I mean, there's like crappy pizza places. Uh, yeah, so you're, here's fuck, another, you're fucked at that hour. Yeah, and you know, Albany was, at that time, it was after. Albany had a, had a uh, uh, you know, even like they passed a lot of laws that in the past 10 years that really damaged the uh, nightlife and business. They, they. Well, now it's like every year they do something, but now I just saw they stopped. The bars can't be open past 2 a.m. But a unique thing for New York, for if people aren't from New York or listening, New York, the last call has always been 4 a.m. Uh, right. All but yeah. that was very good for the economy. It's a shocker it's a when people move from New York to Boston and they realize yeah, how early the not, bars close. Yeah. Uh, but for Albany, that was a lifeline for a lot of people because uh, you had a very nice nightlife in Albany. And, uh, you know, you have 20,000, 30,000 college students there. They would go downtown. They would spend money. Uh, it employed taxi drivers. It employed people who worked at late-night restaurants. Uh, and then they started to crack down on that and, and cut down last call. Uh, and you had a lot of places that relied on that night traffic because, you know, to do business in New York is tough enough. Uh, and they took that out, and college students stopped going downtown, and a lot of places closed. So by the time I opened, I was kind of the only uh, show in town. Uh, but yeah, so it was that was pretty much the first. And then I, I also I was so upset when I did that in the first part of it of running that restaurant. I ran for mayor with the Libertarian oh, Party. Uh, so so <laughs> tell tell us about that. So you run for, you decide to run for mayor of Albany. Yes, I ran for, ran for mayor of Albany with the Libertarian Party. So you didn't, I get, was, you didn't get any votes, though, being a Libertarian, right? They, they didn't. They didn't even. They kicked me off the ballot. I couldn't get <laughs> I'm the ballot. sorry to laugh, but come uh, on, that's a yeah, little funny. Was, yeah, they didn't want. And then, uh, yeah, and I was actually the first Libertarian candidate for office in Albany. Uh, but did, yeah, did, I ran, did, I, did they look at you as a joke, or were they like annoyed by no, you, or like what was the deal? Did they just ignore you? They just mainly ignore me. Well, Albany is a democratic kind right, of machine. Right, that's, that's what I'm thinking. Like, you don't even have a shot. So, yeah, you don't even have a shot. Uh, whoever wins a democratic primary there. 
but yeah, I don't know what I was thinking either. I was very trying to do business in that city was very, very stressful. I was very angry. And uh, then I also realized another thing. My, my, my father taught me a lot when I was younger. And uh, one of the things he told me that always stuck with me too, which is another very important business lesson, uh, is that you, people who find success cannot be afraid to move to new places. Uh, and, and that's like, you know, like my grandparents – there was no success in uh, Ireland and Malta, where my parents' parents come from. So they took the risk, you know, and the, yeah. the immigrants that left were the ones who made money. Uh, you know, and then even then my grandparents in New York City, when they felt there wasn't much opportunity in New York City after being there for a bit, they went upstate. Uh, you know, it's people, let's say not the trash on a, on a, a economically depressed place, but just think of, I don't know, like Detroit or Appalachia. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, like if you stay there, if you stay in a place where there's no opportunity, you can't expect to, uh, or it's going to be very difficult to move upward on the a income. Lot, a lot of people do though. It's a psychological thing, you know, they'll yes. always, they'll, and they'll always have an excuse of why they have to stay. Right. And you don't have to stay of course anywhere. Not. Of course not. Uh, it is just, it's just scary to move. You have to, you're going to something, of you know, course, it's, all, it's all fear. That's all. It's the right. of it. It's all fear. Yeah. And they have yep. their excuse or justification of why they're not going to be like, well, I'm too terrified to move. They'll always say, right. Oh, well I can't, I need to be with my family or my friends are here. Or, you know, I have right. a kid and I have this relationship after my divorce. It's like, you know what? If you really want to, you can fucking make it work. Yes, absolutely. And, uh, you know, so that's, that's a big, very important thing. I think also that goes back to the, the school. I mean, it definitely kind of, you, you can see why people think I'm a dick though, right? I go up to someone and be like, yeah, you yeah. can fucking make it work. <laughs> Stop using excuses. And then, you know, they're not too happy that I say that, especially after a divorce or some shit like that. Yeah, yeah, I bet. <laughs> uh, yeah, so you cannot be afraid You know what, I'm, gl- I'm glad that, you know what's nice about talking to you is I can never out, like, out offend you. No, yeah, man, I mean, I've, I've heard it all, man, <laughs> I'm as you sure. know. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, so let's see. I mean, let, let me see what else. Yeah, so, so, so you're, you're running this well, diner. We go then, to, well, yeah. what, what happened to the diner? Uh, well, I mean, the diner was great. The first year was, was tough, but once I made that switch to basically, you know, an overnight – uh, you know, it was great. And it's funny because that sold place, it though, right? I, I did sell it. Why? Uh, actually it's kind of funny. Uh, two years in, I sold it because I was getting tired of it okay. to somebody who he's a friend of mine. He, he's a business, local business guy in Albany. I'm not going to trash him, That's but, fine. uh, it, it didn't work out for him and he actually closed it in 90 days. And then I took it back over and I did it for another year and a half. And, and then, sold uh, it again, right? I just, I just shut it. There, I don't, it I didn't think, yeah, I just shut it down. I didn't think anyone was going to have money to buy it right. in Albany. So I just shut it down so and I down, left. And uh, then what I, did you do from there? Cause I, you, I remember when I knew when, you know, when we used to hang out, like you had an ATM business, you yeah, had, so, I mean, uh, you were doing like when, Printly. So, t- how so did, much, what's the transition from so diner while, to all that? Well, let's go, I guess I can. So while I was running the diner okay. and that was doing really well, uh, Another thing that that I've learned in business is you have to constantly try to diversify because uh, you never know when one market or one business you rely on is, uh, you know, I mean, it might not do well. So you want to you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket. Uh, And and the second thing I really got into and tried was uh, ATMs. Uh, And that was that idea came because of what somebody who was uh, very good because I'd get some really interesting people as customers, of course, of all walks of life. But sometimes I'd get some really uh, smart, successful people who would come in just because they're hungry at 3 a.m. Uh, had a really smart guy that would come in sometimes. I love talking to him and hearing his business advice. He gave me 
uh, one of the best words of advice for business that I've ever had. He said that because I told him actually I was going to sell it the diner and uh, the first time. And uh, he said, okay, well, what do you want to do now? And uh, I said, oh, well, I don't know. And he said, okay, well, when I was 30, I sold my first business. And at that point, I said, okay, I can do anything I want. So what do I want to do? And he said that he came up with three rules for what his next business should be. Okay. He said that whatever he does next, it has to, A, make money in his sleep, B, pay for all of his toys, everything he wants to do, uh, and three, he, has to be, he, can, he should be able to work on his business from anywhere in the world, anywhere he wants to be. Uh, and, and so that really kind of was a light bulb that went off for me. Uh, and I realized that I would never do that run on a diner. Right. Uh, so yeah, no yeah Ed, he never told me what he did, by the way, next. I wish that people, cause people, whenever they hear that story, they always ask me, what uh, is I the- was just going <laughs> to ask you, what did he do? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I, I don't know, <laughs> but it seemed like it was working out really well for him. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But, yeah, you didn't, so. th- you didn't think to ask him. No, I was trying to be polite. You know, I don't want to interrupt oh, him. Yeah, it's funny. And he was drunk too. And <laughs> he would come in. Uh, actually, it was so the, another funny thing about that diner, that location. There was three gay bars in that block, and uh, so you'd get everybody from the gay bars would come in after like three, four in the morning, and it was just it was such a, like a funny, fun crowd. Yeah, just, yeah. Uh, so. Yeah, and then you'd have the taxi drivers come in. You'd have, like, police would come in. You know what, Alex? When I was actually in Buffalo, sometimes me and my friends, um, and it would be a bunch of us, like guys and girls, uh, occasionally we'd actually go to the gay bar because the environment was way cooler than the uh, the typical clubs. It was yes. way less well, – it was more classy. Yes. Yeah, so Albany has a lot of a lot of gay bars. It's a very big LGBT population. Uh, and, uh, yeah, there's three on that block. So, I mean, it was – yeah, it definitely was a fun place. Uh, and another funny thing, even with uh, – you'd also have like like gangbangers and stuff would come in. So there was a really funny – like people people didn't mind me. They were cool with me. So I remember there was like some, some guys who would come in. Uh, they came in uh, and they were talking about like a shooting or something. <laughs> they like shot somebody. And, uh, and, and then like 10 minutes later – police come in who had responded to like the person getting shot and are talking about it and the guys stopped talking about it and like here they are sitting next to each other at my diner at four in the morning uh it was just it was such a yeah it was definitely an interesting place uh but that gives you kind of the environment that it that it was uh being the only place in town open at four or five in the morning that's wild yep uh so yeah, so I got the the other thing when he, after he told me that I said okay well uh, I I wanted an ATM for my place because here's a place where you know uh, you have tons of foot traffic at late night uh, people always need ATMs they need cash right so uh, I got one I I found a company and were, I, were I, you an all cash business too I was not okay. uh, but but after I got an ATM I I did it I did switch to all cash but I made the fee ninety nine cents. Uh, so it ended up being the cheapest ATM in the city. So, which also goes to another thing is you want to be, uh, it's almost like I monopolized the ATM market from midnight to 5 AM, uh, because then people would start hearing about that machine and they would come everywhere for it. Huh. So I got into that and 
ATMs are interesting. Uh, the machines cost maybe six, seven, eight hundred dollars to you get one as much as two thousand, three thousand. Uh, and you know, and it's pretty self-explanatory. You fill the machine uh, with cash. You set your fee. And there's uh, a co- and there's obviously someone's filling that for you, right? You, I filled it myself. You can fill it yourself. It's kind of you could just you go out buy an ATM and fill it up uh, and run it yourself. You just have to find a company to kind of process through. Okay. Uh, so you weren't they, nervous about though, like someone like if they knew you were the guy filling it up, that they're you're gonna get robbed. No, because I mean, let's say I you fill it up before you open if it's if it's low. Uh, so, and then after I did that, so I would start doing that. It wasn't bad. It was doing well. And you make money on the fees. Uh, let's say you take out a hundred dollars, and then the fee is two bucks, and then so there you go. You get a hundred and two dollars te- technically uh, transferred to your, your account. Uh, so it's kind of automated. Uh, it's uh, yes, yeah, so I did that. And then I, my, I had friends who who had shops and stuff, and because business owners all talk to each other, uh, and so I kind of started pitching to them. Well, hey, let me throw an ATM in your your store. Uh, and that's kind of how I got into that. And before you knew it, I had uh, I had a little portfolio of ATMs. Uh, but you couldn't do that though, so, being away, right? Because you were filling them up yourself. Yeah, and you know you can get you can get services. One of the pro- another problem I had uh, when I was doing the, the diner era was I wanted to do everything myself. So even with the diner, if you remember, I was always there myself. Yeah. Uh, the ATMs I like to fill up myself. Uh, so. Yeah, but I mean, you can get services. Right. That will, it, couldn't you scale up and then just have someone do it for you, and it ends up being yes. worth the fee, right? It, yeah, if I kept getting into it and doing it, I could have. Yeah, uh, I even you know I put some in New Hampshire. Actually, I was doing pretty good in New Hampshire, uh, but uh, I started to realize even with the ATMs. Uh, well, here's well here's the thing. So I was I had these two businesses. They were doing what I was doing. I'm doing the diner, yep. uh, late night crowd. I'm doing ATMs. Uh, and I started to feel like I'm working and trying to expand in markets that uh, – oh, well, you know what? I, sh- I should mention the other thing, Printly, which I started, which was a print broker website. So somewhere in between all this because, as you know, I was making trips to New Hampshire and, yep. and doing TMs there, and I was helping with you know certain stuff out there. Uh, and Well, let's, let's stick to the ATM thing, and then yeah. I'll ask you more about Printly. Okay. All right. So – uh, it, yeah, well, it kind of ties into it. Basically, so I'm working at these things, and I'm realizing that uh, I'm trying to work on industries that I'm, I'm trying to work at a diner in a place that's economically dying, I felt like. It's, yep. it's every year I felt like more people left. There was less business. Uh, another place, restaurant or business or bar or whatever would close, and nothing would replace it. Uh, so here I am just why am I working in a dying market? Uh, and then for the ATMs, I kind of felt like, well, we're kind of going to a cashless society. Uh, so why am I spending all these this money trying to buy these ATMs? And then you have to fix them. And then I remember, not to get into politics again, but that was when uh, the first time I really kind of paid attention to Bernie Sanders because he said that he wanted to set a cap on ATM fees. No fee, no ATM should be over like $3. It was, it was going to be a pain in the ass for you. Yeah. So then I was kind of like, you know, like. Oh, and then the, the the top thing was that they passed some kind of uh, some regulation or law where the ATMs they had to be like a certain year or upgraded, and uh, 
to meet the I can't remember the, the chips basically for the, the chips and cards. So uh, it would have been basically all the ATMs I've been buying for like six seven hundred dollars uh, were going to be obsolete. I'd have to buy like two two thousand dollar ATMs. Right. Uh, so then at that point I was kind of like, okay, well this is I'm going to get out of this. Uh, but yeah, so that's kind of that's where I, I I built it up though. I built a nice portfolio and then I kind of just started selling my ATMs off uh, after that. So, and would you, yeah. would you sell, you would sell, it wouldn't just be the machine, but you would also be selling the machine in the, in the certain location, right? Right. The, okay. And the locations are really what the value is. You right. Get a good yeah. Location. Uh, and what, are the, I, what do those typically know, go for? Uh, what multiple of cash flow do you typically get for those? I mean, it, it, it depends. I mean, some look, you know, I mean, you could sell one maybe for a couple thousand or, uh, you know, uh, some might not be worth much of anything. You never know what the play. You know, it's like hit or miss. You get a place and you're going to get no action at all, and then you you get another one. I mean, there was ironically in in Albany of all places, there was an ATM right in like a five, five corner intersection. It was probably the best ATM in the in the city, and uh, that one did like there was just insane amounts of traffic. It would get like uh, hundreds of people a weekend would do it uh it was just in a really good location and a place where there's bars and everybody needed cash and i don't know what the heck they're buying with the cash but yeah so, uh, so you sell the atms and then tell us about the so then tell us about printly what was that yeah so while i was doing that so i started a uh a, i had a uh print broker uh contract with a printing company and so i set up kind of a uh printing uh kind of website what, is that, uh, what does that mean you had a contract with a print company so basically you get like wholesale rates where where okay. a printing company will give you you know any it's like any kind of broker deal so you, you you're basically a broker so you get wholesale rates and you can kind of sell retail and where did, uh, where did you get the idea to do that from uh you know I, that i almost can't remember oh okay. no you know, now i remember that it was a guy in albany who just had this uh yeah, he just introduced me to this this Print, printing owner okay. uh, kind of so uh and that was he was a guy in local politics and all the really funny guy uh he does a i won't say his name but he does a uh he started a phrase like troy troy crazy the about uh all the crazy things that happened in troy he's like a little celebrity in the area so yeah so i was doing that and then as you know because new hampshire a very very political place yep uh so i figured okay well this is something i can kind of technically make money in my sleep and uh you know, I can work on it from anywhere. It's a website, and mm-hmm. people can order on it. Uh, so I was doing that, and I was I was. Uh, was was getting... was that also? What, and then what was the news site that you had? Yes. So we started as a print site, and uh, we started as a print site. So we would do print orders, and you know, people could order rack cards, business cards, whatever. And we're doing pretty good in New Hampshire. We did some. We actually did a uh, presidential campaigns order uh, for a. Uh, primary candidate amazingly in the republican party okay. so uh we built a little rep- i built a little reputation uh in new hampshire for being a go-to guy for for printing products uh as you know uh i think so if you remember or who was who was the lady who you somebody i can't remember some restaurant owner i was even doing for uh, in new hampshire but right. anyway yeah uh so Yes, yeah, so doing that, and then we started like a blog, like a news blog on the side to kind of like since we're our our clients were business and politics, yep. you know, political clients. We figured, okay, let's do like a blog on business and politics. Uh, 
and a friend of mine who who I ended up partnering with, he helped me build the website first. Uh, we started this blog, and you know we would do like news. Uh, he would write articles, I would write articles, and uh, eventually the blog started to take off. Uh, what do you, and what do you attribute that to? Because people start blogs all the time. I mean, you got you were getting a lot of traffic. Well, we, we tried to remain neutral at first, and I was always very libertarian, and our, our clients were very libertarian. So I tried to stay with the libertarian uh, uh, audience. And uh, he's – mean, yeah, so and meanwhile, I'm running all this other stuff, so I'm really busy. Uh, but he, he kind of took it over almost with, with – he was putting out uh, – well, he liked Trump, and he was a Trump supporter before there were Trump supporters. Uh, it's like 2014 or something. Like I, I didn't even think he was going to run then. But uh, – he starts putting out Trump stuff, and nobody was really writing about pro-Trump uh, news, you know. So uh, he would write that out, and and that would get tons of traffic. It would be a total hit. Uh, so, and that's kind of what what caused it to take off. Is here is a a blog that's kind of uh, given audience to you know Trump supporters who don't really have an outlet to go to. Uh, because even Fox News wasn't really doing that. So, yeah, that's kind of right. what caused it to take off. Interesting. And then Trump retweeted something that you guys had posted, right? It was all, all kind of a, a controversial thing? Yeah, so... so uh, what, what was this about? Yeah, so that happened a little on... Should we jump into when I closed the diner, or should we go into more of the print lawyer? Uh, but basically, yeah, so, yeah, so, so in, in between all this, I'm getting tired of the... Uh, the uh, Shop, you know, the the running the shop and doing all this, and all right. uh, I had a uh, my sister and brother in law invited me for a job opportunity out in Colorado, and I had visited Colorado briefly a year before, and uh, I felt okay. Well, you know, I remembered my father had said you got to be, you know, take jumps to try new places, so I did that. I just closed up. I got sick of it, and I closed up the diner, and I left New York for good. Uh, and I had the block going and it was just starting at this time and it was starting to do well. So I was like, let me try out Colorado and, uh, do this. And I had some money from the diner. And so, uh, yeah. And then right around this time, the block started to take off. And because again, so here's a, a media kind of outlet that is, is the only thing doing positive Trump news. And, uh, so of course that's going to get the Trump because how much stuff does he have to, uh, you know, how much media, positive media uh, stories does he have? So he would start to retweet our stuff, our articles. Uh, and then it really took off. But then you had like a media spotlight on us uh, because they're like, oh, what is this? He's, he's retweeting these articles. And they would say it's fake news. I, I, as you know, will argue it. I don't think it's fake news but because we never made anything up. But we would put slants on things. So why, why uh, would they call you fake news? So, like, I'll give you the biggest example. Was so he he retweeted an article that got a lot of uh, uh, publicity because it was on. We were on ABC. Uh, uh, Washington Post wrote about it, and this article. It, this gives you an example of kind of what we did. Uh, this article was like uh, Trump pressures Ford to relocate their factories from Mexico back to the U.S. Something like that, and. Uh, yeah, that was true that Ford was moving their factories back to the U.S. Uh, and, you know, I mean, can you say that Trump is the reason? 
I mean, you can't say he's not the reason he would attack them. So, but to them, yeah, but, but to be fair, your article was saying that the reason I mean, was he pressured. Right? I mean, you're implying that, right? And that we say that, and, and we would do from the from a conservative standpoint almost what the media does, like CNN would do from a liberal standpoint. I think, so that's I, think I think everyone. So I, I think everyone does it, but yes, everyone I mean, does. But could well, you? But is, you can agree though, like that's a little dis. Like what you did was disingenuous, right? I don't and think. Tell, tell me if I'm wrong. Tell, tell, if you can, I, no, wrong. I don't okay. think it's this. I think it's. I think it's. It's more just slanted. I mean, the thing is that people don't want unbiased news. Everybody has a a bias, confirmation bias. Like you don't. If that's why you don't have media that is unbiased. No, I, I get it. But let, let me ask you just straightforward, right, so, Alex. Alex, straightforward question. Yes. So you say that they they're moving to Detroit because Trump. Pressure. Did you have any evidence that Trump pressured them, or are you and just then, saying that? And then, right, and then you you go on, and then with the article, like I, I forget what what we talked about, but something low, you know, and and so Trump's been hammering them, and now they are moving back to the U.S. Uh, and Trump claimed the success. So, I mean, that's I could probably pull up CNN and show you uh, fifty articles that are. Uh, you know the same kind of bias or slant, oh sure no, but, a, a, Alex right. trust so me trust me they're, but they're neutral. but they're not here so I can't address that right right it's not neutral but it is it is you know I mean that's that's what it is sure. I, I wouldn't say it's fake news I would say it's biased news but yeah the media did not like that and that's kind of we. However, you, you know we, I, I, I'm going to drop it but you know some people will hear that and say you're you're just dealing with semantics right I mean that's what it is but what is <laughs> what is media it's our news you know it's all semantics uh, I got it. But uh, there you go. I, I went on the CNN, the top. The, it's kind of hilarious. It's kind of hilarious. Regardless, though, it's kind of hilarious that Trump retweets it, something that is a whole hysteria. Well, out because well, we, we did it almost to kind of mock the media too. Because I mean, we were also watching like like okay. So I'll give you an example, Alex. I'm sorry to almost mock. Yes. You are you are a professional troll, my friend. You you yeah. did it to mock well, let, them. <laughs> let me give you an example. So I remember, and I didn't even support Trump until the last minute. But I'll give you an example. I remember I was watching a speech of Trump did, and he was giving a speech, and there was a baby next. There's a woman with a baby next to him, and the baby starts crying. Okay. And 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 she's like. She's like going to step out and he's like, oh, no, no, you don't have to leave. And then she's like, she's going to keep walking out or something. And he's like, all right, no, get out of here as a joke. He's joking, though. He's from New York. He has that humor, you know, that sense of sarcasm. Then what's the front page story? Trump kicks out woman with crying baby from his rally. I, I remember that. You remember that. That was not true. That wasn't what happened. So the media would do things like that every single day. That was that is fake news. So we kind of said we, that we would be a little outraged with that. And this is why you had all these these pro Trump online media like websites that would pop up like nuts because the media created that because they decided they didn't want to be unbiased. They right. wanted to write stories like that. So you were so, pushing back a little a lot. Exactly. And that's why those things took off, because you'd go to a Trump rally and then you would see one thing and then you see another thing on the news. And so how are you going to feel? Uh, hold on. Hold so, on. A news article. Just an Alex Portelli is doing a podcast syndicate to justify fake news. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> right? That would be that would be the headline. Yeah, for real. I mean, well, even, actually, it's funny then. Uh, well, yeah, I remember Washington Post and did a big big story on it but uh portelli yeah anyway podcast so, tour yeah uh so yeah so that's kind of we kind of i guess we started that because sometimes things are get like 
of course, some things are a little ridiculous. You see articles on Facebook, and I'm sure you're like, how does somebody share that and, and believe that? I know. So then uh, what, did, what did you guys peak at in terms of, like, monthly hits? Uh, you, you were getting, like, quite we, a bit of traffic. We were doing – we did a couple million people a month in yeah, 2016. That's, that's, and then that's were, incredible. were you monetizing it through, like, ad revenue? Is that the model? Yes, and we and we okay. we we did uh, we did monetize it. You do monetize it. Uh, well, why why but, did you why did you stop that? I mean, you shut that down, right? Yeah, we shut it down after uh, after Trump won. Why? And and because then the well, actually, what happened after he won? Ironically, our our website showed up at the top of Google News for uh, election when people Googled election results under news. And our article, we had an article about Trump winning, came up first, and then we had something about, uh, I don't know, like he, we wrote, he, somebody wrote something about, because we had some writers, and uh, somebody wrote something about he would have won the electoral vote or something without illegal if the legals didn't vote or something, uh, and that was the first thing that people would see, and so the media wrote about that. They were like, "Why is this showing up? Google is, has fake news showing up on their news uh, section." Uh, and so that they started like, uh, well, I guess, you know, they were attacking Facebook and Google. So suddenly I guess Facebook kind of must've done something because then our articles would just totally, were not getting viewed. They pretty much shadow banned us. Okay. Uh, and that really kind of killed it. So you were, you, you got, it was, uh, you got fucked. Right. Right. Exactly. They, they just totally, so we, we weren't able to really get any viewers anymore and we said, screw this. So. Uh, that was the, the, so you said, screw this. And then was the real, was the Colorado stuff? Was that next? No, this was all happening. Oh, it was all happening at the same time. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I moved to Colorado in 2015. Uh, so I was kind of keep up with the amount of stuff you do. Yeah, man. It's now I'm in Vegas. Uh, So so, so tell us about, um, Colorado. So you, you you moved to Colorado, went out to Colorado, uh, yeah, but I tell you, man, I do have a crazy story. Uh, went out to Colorado, uh, kind of had the website, tried, was going to check out this job. Job turned out to be, uh, it was like a sales job or something. I was supposed to like manage something, some office for like security alarm systems or whatever. It turned out to be like a total, uh, uh, nothing was here. There was like no office. There was no anything. It was like the total so scam. I walked, I, I just kind of. Yeah, it was almost a scam. It was like a very that that was an in, in, interesting industry, the home security systems. Uh, you have all these like pop up companies that kind of basically uh, go door to door. They get salespeople and they go door to door, and those those kind of pyramid scheme, commission based things where you sell people five year contracts and securities. And it's definitely the worst job I have ever done, and the worst job I ever saw. Uh, and then people, of course, are being very shady about it. And then on top of it, the security – these companies don't even handle the security. Then they, they basically resell them to an actual like ADT or some shady uh, company that actually does the monitoring. So uh, they're always lying and getting people to, to just try to sign up for these things under false pretenses and very bad industries. So after I was out here for a month and I'm trying to kind of make this work uh, – but that this company was just totally uh, these guys who had this were in over their head and and yeah kind of scammy. So I said okay I'm gonna leave walk away from this and uh, unfortunately I brought some people out. A lot of people kind of liked me and I brought some people out to help me with this. Uh, and I was kind of thinking ah oh, geez why the heck did I come out here? You know I gave up my diner. I had this nice business and security and all that and 
uh, now I'm out here and uh, I even had rented an apartment, a uh, nice apartment. And I was like, what the hell am I going to do now? Uh, and my friend was like, oh, well, he's like one of the people that came out with me. This guy, Scott, he's really good. Uh, and I'd met him in New Hampshire actually, but he's like, oh, well, you should do Airbnb. And I'm like, Airbnb, what's that? Uh, and he's like, oh, well, here, I'll show you. And he showed me Airbnb. And this was before, I guess, Airbnb was well known. Uh, but I don't know if were you familiar with Airbnb in 2015 or? I think so, yeah. Barely, right? Now it's it's definitely more of like a mainstream. Yeah. You see it in the news a lot. Uh, but yeah, so I, I was like, okay, let me try this. I put my couch up. I made a listing for the couch in my apartment. I put it up and it was booked in 10 minutes, 25 bucks or something. And I was like, Jesus Christ, I can make money on this? Uh, and I would just kind of – I just kind of Airbnb'd the heck out of my apartment. I Airbnb'd the rooms. Uh, I, I just kind of slept on the couch. I Airbnb'd the couch. I would just uh, – it was actually kind of – because I was kind of in a jam out there. Uh, and then the uh, apartment found out, and they were like – you know, they were like, okay, well, you got to stop. We're going to evict you. I said, oh, you know, or you got to leave or we'll evict you. And I'm like, all right, I'll leave. <laughs> so I packed up in like three days. and. I rented like three more apartments, uh, and uh, we won't go to too much details. But I mean, that's basically how I kind of got started in that. And uh, th- then eventually, I kind of figured out, well, let me kind of legitimize a bit. And uh, I would find people who who wanted to rent their place, and I'd say, well, let me just Airbnb it for you. It's a lot more money, and you don't have to worry about it. And so I started managing properties, uh, and then I, I started to buy properties uh, over the next uh, two or three years. And it was a very, very good industry. Uh, to get into at the time in Denver. And in Colorado at the time was kind of like the wild west of it, like everywhere, I guess, where you didn't really have anyone regulate an Airbnb. So you're really able to just kind of do it. Uh, and so I, that that really is what I kind of, how I got into property. And I built up a portfolio of eight or nine properties. And that's kind of uh, what I do today, uh, mainly aside from online. Is it mainly Airbnb? Yeah, well now now I've I've had to sell my Denver properties because uh you know, since then they've passed some really strict laws uh where they've actually arrested people for felonies. Jesus. Uh, yeah, so it's gotten really nice. And so I've I've started I've just pretty much sold my Denver portfolio and and I have a few condos I rent, but uh it it's really a shame though because it makes me kind of sad because here was something where okay, well I didn't really make too much from the diner, and here I am. I'm stuck out here. Uh, I don't really know what the heck I'm going to do. I, hear, I have a ninth grade diploma, uh, and oh well, here's an outlet where I can I can use my talent to make money. And uh, in just four years, I put together like a portfolio of uh, you know like two million dollars almost in properties. Like it's insane. I mean, I, I have mortgages, but uh, it's just really incredible. I think, and uh, nobody can really do that again at least not there not because there, yeah you're right because now it's it's banned before they didn't regulate it so they just it's almost like they killed another way to for somebody to kind of accumulate wealth uh so so that's too bad but i did at least built i built up kind of my uh yeah my my portfolio that i have today so yeah cool uh, there, there's yep. so there's some things where if it's working really well Somebody just don't talk about it until you accumulate, you know, until you exploit yes. that mark. Yeah, yeah, for real. And uh, so I'm, you know, I'm serious, you know. It's like no, absolutely. People, people, people it, get um, people get envious. 
Yeah, they they do for sure. Uh, it's very sad. Uh, but yeah, and so I, but I like property. That's how I got into property. Uh, now I'm kind of looking into commercial uh, properties or mixed use properties where you can kind of get a license for like a motel or in And this and this is in Vegas. Uh, everywhere. I mean, I I like. I like Vegas. Uh, what, brought, what brought you out there? Uh, I bought a I bought a house out here because uh, well, one, I'm sick of winter, uh, okay. and two, there I think that there is good uh, property opportunities out here. Uh, the, the Airbnb they're actually really really strict, uh, but actually you know you could do a podcast in Airbnb, and I bet you you'd get so many people who would listen because people are really curious about the rules and laws and. And where they can do it and where they can't as an investment, uh, because now five years ago you could pretty much just do it anywhere. Now though, yeah. jurisdictions are starting to uh, you know figure out about this and, and pass laws. Or so Denver, you don't, you're, you don't you cannot do it. Basically, the Denver law now is which they just recently passed. You can you can't do it in as an investment. You have to have live there as your primary residence, and you can only have one listing. Uh, so you're not really going to make money on it. It's really for like a retired couple that right, and and so that's all. And people are getting in trouble all the time. Ironically, Why, what's the point? Like, what what's the point of that? What's the reasoning behind doing that? Well, they well they elect. There's some socialist that came to office that that said flat out in meetings, city meetings, that people shouldn't be able to make money on this exploiting people who you know there's home crises or whatever. Uh, but yeah, okay. I mean they just. Yeah, so she's a nut, Shidabaka or whatever her name is. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's it's really it could be hotel industries lobby in a lot of places. There's a lot of misguided. Uh, I mean, let's say you get one percent of Airbnbs. I mean, millions of people use Airbnb, but of course, like anything, I mean, you could have an apartment where you rent rent it to somebody and they're bad tenants. You're going to have Airbnb guests who are sometimes bad, so you get one one bad publicity incident, and uh, you know they feel like they have to regulate the whole industry. Uh, but yeah, it definitely takes away an income stream for a lot of people who are trying to, you know, they want to be self-employed or they want to get in the property, and uh, so it's sad. But yes, yeah, so at Denver, no go. And uh, the big thing there was that they. Uh, you know they'll arrest people for if they get a license, and now what they do is is well first of they require people to get a license and and where it has to be a primary residence and uh, a lot of hosts were just getting a license but wasn't their primary residence uh, and so what they would do is they had have people sign affidavits uh, swearing that it's your primary residence and so people, I guess they would think, and it was like immigration law. An immigration lawyer was arrested, and a real realtor couple were arrested. Uh, but they would sign these affidavits, uh, not thinking anything of it, and then the city would actually investigate. And they'd actually, the city of Denver actually has like uh, law enforcement, police, detectives would do like a review and do an investigation to see if you lie on the affidavit. Uh, as if they don't have better stuff to do. But so then what happened was they would do these. Well, Alex, you know what though? I'm sure you know this and I'm, I'm saying this to you right now as a yes. fellow business owner as well. You know, there's, yes. there's laws that you and I are not going to like, but yes. you got to follow them. And there's, you know, look, that's look, right. I'm, right. In the invest, I'm in the investment management. I, look, yes. I'm in the investment management, you know, in the investment management right. industry. And there's a document that I have to give out to everyone. Yes. And 
Do I personally think it's a load of bullshit? Yeah, I kind of do. Right. But you know what, yeah, though? Yeah. That yeah, the, my, my regulator, I'm right. You know, you I'm have, regulated by. Follow- oh, I'm so. speaking. I, I'm regulated by the state of New Hampshire, yeah. and I'm also regulated by the state of Pennsylvania. And you know what? I will do whatever the hell I want. <laughs> I, I don't want to get in trouble. And there's rules that I follow, whether I like them or not, because I want to be in business. And if it means that right. there's some exactly. rules that like don't really love, I'll, you know what? It's not gonna. It, it's not. So yes. I'll figure out a way to make it work. And I think you, you kind of right. have to just roll with it. Yeah. And that, that goes into another thing with business that, that I've, I've learned uh, early is uh, one, pay your taxes. Don't try to scam them on your taxes. And two, you know, I mean, it's, it's follow the law because at the end of the day, uh, you know, yeah, it's not worth it. Uh, and right. so that's why I, I, you know, personally, again, I bailed out at Denver. I, I sold, started selling my portfolio. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so that's, that's what happened there. Uh, and yeah, so, uh, with, with Vegas, Vegas is interesting because, uh, the city of Vegas itself is very small. Uh, most of it is unincorporated Clark County, uh, and Clark County, which the, the casinos and the hotels pretty much run, uh, they don't you can't get a license even for your primary you can't get it's banned outright so you can't airbnb legally in the probably three quarters of the city of las vegas which is unincorporated uh there is though uh north las vegas and uh henderson have you you can as an investment uh you can buy a property and airbnb it and you just get like a 500 dollar a year fee uh, and Airbnb. So that's really what, and this is also goes back to the thing about the, doing a podcast and Airbnbs. Uh, I've even kind of thought of creating some kind of outlet where people can kind of see where, what the laws are in different jurisdictions. Cause I've studied it a ton. Uh, so even in Colorado, I'm, I'm pro- I probably know the rules for every town and municipality in Colorado. Uh, uh and some communities embrace it, and some communities uh, they don't want investments, short-term rentals for investments. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. But interesting. So the pro- and so the properties that you have right now, they're non-Airbnb. Is that the deal, or? Uh, yeah. I mean, it's why well, I have a, a few places I rent okay. uh, in Denver, and then I have uh, now one thing. Here's this is. Trying to navigate the uh, the uh, what's the word the ambiguity of the of short-term rental rules. So I bought one property in a county where uh, a municipality outside Denver, where uh, it's actually a really nice property, really big, right by the Denver airport, and they don't have Airbnb rules here. And I had spoken to the uh, city plan, I mean the county planner, before purchasing this property, and and that's kind of again, this is what. Before there were rules, yeah, you could be a maniac, and I was a maniac. But now, as I've matured into you're, it, you're, now, a, you're a maniac at heart. Yeah. So, but now <laughs> it's like, I'm, you know, I'm trying to navigate this. So that's what I'm, I'm kind of specializing in now. So I, I found this place where, okay, so here they have no rules, and they basically, they, they basically, since they don't regulate it, uh, you can Airbnb. They don't care. Uh, and so I bought this property, and. Uh, I started Airbnb in it, and it actually has no neighbors across the street. Uh, I have uh, I have a live-in kind of manager. It's a big property. It has a room, and he kind of manages it to make sure everything is quiet. And, uh, you know, uh, it's doing well, but a, somebody who lives, I guess, like, 
somewhere in the neighborhood noticed there was different cars there every week. So they they complained and they kept complaining, and now uh, the county basically came and said, okay, well look, this person's really upset. This is going on. So you got to have a change of use permit now. Uh, which before that this this wasn't even a thing. They did you know the city the county planner told me, oh no, you don't have to. But this is kind of what you have to deal with in this industry. So even if you think the rules are clear, they're black and white, they're not. So now I've got I stopped Airbnb in there, and now I have to. I actually got I have a uh, real estate lawyer. I use is good at, good at this stuff, and now we're going through like a change of use permit. Uh, so you know I guess you have a white area where it's legal as an investment pro- opportunity you have a gray area where there's no rules and then you have a black area where it's totally illegal so I would recommend as an investor uh, you really just want to find the white areas uh, where they've passed some kind of law that legalizes short-term renting as an investment uh, and if you can find that and you can find a good place uh, short Airbnb is a great business to be in you think uh, having so, a real estate lawyer uh, hiring one to get involved in this industry is, is worth the money? No, no. I just don't like to – yeah, I mean – No, I'm, I was genuinely curious. I didn't, I didn't know either way. Yeah, I don't think you personally need – he helped me with an eviction once. He was really good. Uh, that's also why I, I – you know, Airbnb is nice as well if you're if you like property because uh, – you know, if, if, if a person, they, they just want a place to sleep, and if, if a guest is unruly, and I've, I've done this before, you can call the police, and the pol- you can say, look, this Airbnb guest has to leave, they're acting, whatever. Okay, the police take them out. Uh, but, you know, I mean, I've rented, and I've dumped with renters as well, uh, and I, I had to do an eviction. I used this guy, and he was phenomenal, so I like him, and he doesn't charge much. But you don't, you don't need one. Uh, no, you don't need a real estate lawyer at all to... To do it, I just I just felt to be safe since it's kind of a gray area, and uh, with this, I, I felt that he should do the application to kind of show them, well, look, you know, like uh, be fair, I guess. Right. So now you're um, uh, you're working on a new project now, right? Yeah. So uh, can you tell I us about a, that? Yeah, yeah. So cool. it's it's uh, I have a website. Uh, so I mean, yes, yeah, so I I did Printly. Uh, we actually relaunched Printly, and it's been doing really well. Oh, cool. Uh, and over the last few years, since I've gotten the Airbnb, uh, I've been working on a web project called Print Page, uh, which is follow that print kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ever, uh, but but basically, it's a. Uh, it's like a peer-to-peer marketplace uh, where everything is kind of all in one. Uh, so, and and I, I did that largely because of of my uh, uh, dis dissatisfaction with with Airbnb over certain things and dissatisfaction with uh, uh, you know other Lyft and Uber. And, when, when you and say peer-to-peer marketplace, what what exactly are you? Basically, where you know where where you can be. A, a you as a user can offer a good or service and, okay. that you monetize and can be paid for to another user, and it's basically the platform. Uh, you know, and you go to Uber for your rides uh, is peer to peer. You go to Airbnb for home shares, uh, Grubhub for food. Those are all kind of. Uh, is it other stuff too? Like say, like you want to hire a handyman? Can you do it on there? Or? Right. So we we're basically doing all you have know, services, B and Bs, ride shares. Uh, for sale on listing online for sale items 
Uh, and we're going to do it at, at a much lower rate. So Airbnb will take probably between the host and guests 20, 25%. Uber takes 20, 25%, et cetera. Uh, I, you know, and I have experience with all these things because, you know, I dealt with Grubhub with a restaurant, uh, Airbnb I deal with. Uh, we're going to take only like 3%. Uh, so we want to provide a better service for people. Uh, and, and that's not price gouging them. Uh, so, so vendors, cause a lot of people rely on these things, uh, you know, so they can keep more of their money. And ha- uh, have you launched this yet or no, well, I've been running it, uh, beta. Uh, that's the nice thing about if you Airbnb, you can kind of practice, uh, you know, I mean, you have a, a customer base that you can kind of get firsthand feedback on. And that's how I kind of practiced, uh, you know, had the, the beta version tested and, uh, so yeah, I kind of ran it on a, on that scale, but we're almost done and should be launching it. Uh, you know, this probably the spring for sure in the next month or two. So I'm really, really excited about that. Once, uh, once you launch and you have a few months going, we should come back on the show and talk to us about it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I can definitely do that. Uh, but yeah, no, I think it's 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 definitely very exciting. Web, web website, anything uh, online, uh, apps, web development, I think is uh, is is solid to get into. I mean, well, it's it's I guess it's not solid; it's risky, but in sure. but uh, it's definitely worth. You know, you got to keep. This goes back to what I was saying, where you have to just try things. Uh, so that's kind of the latest thing I'm trying. How do you how uh, do you compete though with some of these other businesses that just specialize in ride sharing or just specialize in in you know uh, Airbnb stuff or you know Angie's List with with services, ha- how how are you going to compete with that? It has to be smoother. Well, one is if it's cheaper, people will use it. Uh, if if you can save money, if people can save money and, and the product is better than the comp- competitor, then I th- I think you'll have how no you, problem. How, in do, how do you make it cheaper? Like so, Uber doesn't make money right now, right? Their Lyft doesn't make money. How do how do you make it cheaper? Uh I mean, that's 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 a great question. I mean, Amazon didn't make money for the first how long? I mean, I guess technically sure. it's all. Uh, no, I, I wasn't saying that to put it down at all. I, I'm just, I was just no, no, curious about the model. Sure. I mean, I think I think that you can you can you can definitely make money. I mean, even if you're not you're not technically you'll you'll generate revenue. I think that's the big thing. Is sure. I mean, you'll revenue. you'll need you'll need scale well, to have a chance of profit, right? Right. Well, like you look at like Booking.com is another one. Mm-hmm. So they do like hotels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Their, their revenue is like thirty-six million dollars a day or something uh, insane. Uh, you know, Airbnb t- does billions. Uh, you know, Uber even does. You know, even if they're not profitable yet, they do billions. Uh, I mean, you'll, you so you'll need outside capital, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, yeah, you probably would, Rick, for a project like this. I mean, amazingly, it's it's. Here's what I've learned too about investors. You're so uh, casual about this. It's funny. Yeah, man. Well, it's like you know, like I, I self financed this crazy website, this okay. project, and uh, it's like you want investors when you when, investors don't want to deal with you when you need them, and then the investors will all be there when you don't need them anymore, almost. Uh, yep. But you definitely, if you want to get investors, you have to have something to show. So. Right now, I'm kind of focused on on getting the project finished. We have users, uh, amazingly, but getting like a nice user base, and then I imagine that I might be in a uh, a uh, position, I guess, to kind of go to investors. Uh, but you would probably know that more than me, uh, I think. Probably. 
Yeah. Uh, so, but yeah, you know, that's, yeah, I guess I am really casual about it. It's funny. Since I've known you, everything you've done, you've been very casual about. Oh, yeah, I'm just doing some ATMs, you know. I'm, I'm done with the ATMs. Yeah. I'm just going to go, I'm just gonna go yeah. to Colorado, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah, just keep jumping and stuff. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, no, I mean, amazingly, though, I mean, it's from my Airbnb and, and revenue and or business and whatnot, uh, the first year kind of started testing it, and it did, like, over – a uh, hundred thousand in revenue. Yeah, uh, that's great. You know, you're you're a, you're a testament that ninety percent of business is literally or in life really is just showing up. Like you you see all these people <laughs> who are like really smart and they read every fucking book in the world, but like what have they actually done? You know, right? They're, and they're like, yeah, you know, no, you've already created like nine businesses and they're just still, they're they're still thinking about their first one. Well, uh, maybe I'll, I'll be ready soon. Uh, yeah, man, it's I keep I try things and I get kind of tired of it, I guess. Uh, or or I think oh, well, I want to try something. I mean, better. you you have a fucking ninth grade education, but all you do is just do action, 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 action. If you fuck up a bunch and you still make it work, like you've already accomplished yeah. way more than like the really brilliant guy who has a PhD in rocket fucking science or whatever. But they're still thinking about it. Yeah, well, here's what I kind of realized with property is okay you can and they're in their comfortable job be, and they're in their really shitty relationship with a wife they don't like and you know like all this stuff right and they're, and they're just thinking about well one day when it's the right time and i'll i'll leave this shitty life behind and you, you get what, no, I, you you get what i'm it, saying man. though it's just like they they you fucking get, you romanticize get one life. Every, I, I know i think they romanticize <laughs> everything and yep. then they're like oh i'm on my deathbed now fuck right well even with with uh Colorado, you know, I mean, Colorado, I feel like, oh, another thing, a big thing, we didn't really get into it, but the main reason I kind of decided to kind of bail out of Colorado and I started selling my stuff is I think that Colorado is in a big bubble that is going to burst. Why, uh, why do you think it's and, a bubble? What's, what are you looking because at? Because they, 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 is there, is there, I mean, is there like an analysis behind this or is this just like your hunch? You know, it's, because your hunch is typically pretty good, but I just want to know if this it is, is like just a hunch. Okay. And, and it, it, a feeling. And it has kind of started to materialize over okay. the last six months. Actually, yep. the, the December was dismal for the housing market there. Yeah, uh, it's kind of. A, but uh, basically, you know, they were the first state to legalize marijuana, if you remember. Uh, and and or one of the first states or the second state or whatever caused a huge uh, kind of green rush. And, and did, that help, green, did that help your business, by the way, that whole green rush? It, it, it made my business. I mean, I pretty much rode the the green wave, I guess you could you, say. You, you call, to... you call that because I remember when you moved and you were like, yeah, I'm going to take advantage of all this, all these people coming in for marijuana. Yes, I definitely saw opportunity there. Uh, yeah, you, very, you, uh, you, you nailed that. Yeah, no, I did for sure. I, I, I realized it was a good place to be and that's kind of why I jumped at, decided to take the risk. Uh and what, are you, and, and what are you seeing now? It's just like everyone now wants to be in it, and it's just kind of well, like crowded here, space? Or? Here's what happened is everybody wanted to move there. Huge housing shortage there. Uh, Airbnb had nothing to do with that. A huge housing shortage. You had all these people suddenly overnight want to move to Colorado, and we're moving to Colorado. Uh, economic boom from legalizing weed. Uh, and so, of course, the one problem is where are all these people supposed to live? So there was a housing shortage, and they – you know, like like any boom. So suddenly you have a boom in construction, lots of houses being built. There's, I remember when I moved out there in 2015. You drive to the airport from the city of Denver, and there is uh, there would be nothing almost. Now you drive out there, there is 
at thousands upon thousands of houses. There's, there's probably over 10, I mean, definitely over 10,000 houses. I remember there's one community, it's like 8,000 homes they just built out of nowhere. So they just went on a huge building spree. Uh, every year they're, they're dropping like 80,000 new, uh, newly built homes or units uh, for, to the market. Except now, as you know, you know, like how many states have legalized weed now? Uh, a ton. So the the mass exodus to Colorado has pretty much trickled off. People are not going to Colorado anymore. Uh, but you still have all these houses that are popping on the market that were that construction began 18 months ago. Uh, so you know, like I think it's almost at the point where you're going to have these houses continue to sit. And actually, you will see it too if you go to Realtor or Zillow. What do you see? You see in Denver price drops now where you never saw price drops two years ago. Everything is getting price dropped, price dropped, price dropped. It's sitting on the market. Uh, so I think that they are at the edge of a uh, big problem they're going to see. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Um, it is. <laughs> is there, any other, is there any feel, anything you've, you think I've missed or anything else you want me to talk about? Cool, interesting stories? Or you think we've covered most of it? Covered most. I mean, we can always, I could always come back and you know another time go on other stuff. I don't yeah. know if there's anything related to what we hit off. Uh, well, let's, know, let's, let's let me tell you, you know, when you when you start yeah. this company, uh, you know, when it gets out of beta and you've been doing this for a little bit, you know, come back on and tell us about you know what's what's going on. Yeah, that's a good idea actually. You know, for sure, and uh, we'll see how it's doing. Yeah, uh, I, wish, I wish you the best. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. And 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 and, and uh, stay being a maniac. <laughs> Yeah, for real, man. That's it. Yeah. YOLO. <laughs> not, I hope not too YOLO because <laughs> you have a business to run, but I get what you're yeah, saying. <laughs> All right, man. Well, Alex, it was a uh, pleasure to have you on. Cool, man. Thanks. All right, man. I'll talk to you later. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to the Intelligent Investing Podcast with Eric Schlein. If you'd like to connect with Eric for questions, comments, feedback, ideas, or to inquire about being on the show, please contact Eric at intelligentinvesting at gmail.com. So, in the words of Charlie Munger, I have nothing to add.